we are doing a much better job of getting people vaccinated than most countries. But we screwed up big time when we made the vaccination process voluntary. Millions of people around the, around the world, they've died of COVID. Millions have been saved by the vaccines. Yet now we have a new strain of the virus that's spreading like wildfire in the parts of the country where people seem to be afraid of needles or politically against the process. I want you to compare that with one of the great presidents, President Eisenhower, who mandated that everyone get vaccinated against polio as soon as we had a working vaccine. I was. It wasn't some voluntary thing where the government recognized your right to choose to get sick and spread a deadly illness to others. Wipe out polio is an imperative that Eisenhower refused to botch under any circumstances. By the way, we did the exact same thing with smallpox 120 years ago. But today? Today we got the rules. We don't know if companies can force their workers to get vaccinated. We, we don't even have the FDA on board. Neither Pfizer's vaccine nor Moderna's have actually been approved. They're just being administered under emergency use authorizations. The FDA will prove an Alzheimer's drug of, of incredibly dubious efficacy. But a vaccine that's been given to hundreds of millions of people is treated as an experimental exception. Maybe you think this is a technicality, but so many Americans don't trust the vaccines and the lack of FDA approval sure doesn't help. I challenge the FDA to explain themselves and their foolhardy behavior. They are just playing off the reservation. I point all of this out because today's sell-off was all about the Delta variant, especially the way governments around the world have dropped the ball in containing it. I was watching the futures at 4 a.m. and they were soggy, but they took the real header when we learned that there would be no spectators allowed at the Tokyo Olympics. What the heck was the Japanese government thinking? Now, I couldn't understand this decision for the life of me until I looked up the numbers and I saw that only 15% of Japan's people are fully vaccinated. 15, one five. I can't believe they would let the Olympics go forward without seriously preparing for a major outbreak. But even now, banning spectators seems crazy. I have another idea. Why not just ban everyone who's not vaccinated? Good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Friday Detox episode 47. We are quickly approaching episode 50, which, if you remember from past episodes, was my milestone for wanting to get guests on. So again, I've been I've been kind of saying episode to episode, if there's somebody or if it's you who has an opinion or has a a story or has um, a perspective on any of the things we're talking about or something that you just feel is important that people need to hear, whether it's political, just social issues, or uh, it's a, a faith message, uh, something from your, your reading of the Bible or whatever it is you're studying or reading just out of curiosity, I'd love to have you on. Uh, or if you know somebody who, who should be on the podcast, hit us up, info at crossandmusket.com at Friday underscore detox on Instagram. Send us, a, send us a message and we'd love to get them on the show or get you on the show. Um, as you hear from that opening audio, today we're talking about the vaccine mandates. And this is a, a fun one, air quotes fun. This is one that's kind of been touchy for me recently. And uh, I think it's an issue that a lot of us have allowed to just not be discussed. And what's happening is everybody's got their opinions, everybody's got their their risk safety thresholds that they're they're willing to to go here, but they're not willing to go there uh, with risk when it comes to their health or the health of their loved ones. And so, because we've all got these different ideas and opinions and perspectives, we're just kind of steering clear of each other. And I think that's doing more harm than the virus itself. And if you, you remember back. Um, in 2020, that was one of President Trump's catchphrases, which we can't let the cure be worse than the virus itself. And I think that, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to say that we're approaching that point. I think we've crossed that point. Um, we've got divisions in this country that did not exist before uh, across the spectrum, economically, socially, just and, and the worst part to me, the absolute worst division that I have seen created by this virus is the family. I've seen people alienated from members of their own family because of vaccination status. That's where we're at. Maybe you think that's cool. Maybe you think that's that's warranted. Um, and that's perfectly okay. I, today, I don't want to necessarily sway you one direction or the other, but I do want to to take the emotion out of it, as I always try to do, and get down to the facts. What are people basing COVID fears on what are people basing this um, 
almost a servitude to the pharmaceutical industry and these vaccines, that the vaccines are our savior. What is this stemming from? Um, before I get into just the facts, a, a large part, I believe, of people's information is, is coming from the news. It's coming from the mainstream news media, whether it's Fox News or CNN or NBC, ABC, MSNBC, um, or print with New York Times, Wash, Wash Street uh, Journal, Washington Post. People are looking to these news organizations for facts, and I don't think they're getting the full story. They're getting tier two facts. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, you got basic fact, like we're going to talk about um, the the transmissibility of these viruses, the deadliness, the case fatality rates of these viruses that have impacted the world in the United States. Um, those are basic facts. But what those facts are doing now is they're feeding a second tier fact of, well, if this, then this. And, and it's the then part that people are disagreeing over, but they're presenting it as fact. And that's what I want to try to avoid. I don't want to portray what I am taking out of these facts as fact itself. It is, it does boil down to personal choice. It does boil down to not necessarily opinion because it is still based in fact, but what, what do you do with those facts? How does that dictate your next move and how does it dictate how we run society? That's the important part. Um, so there's a lot of arguments today about these vaccine mandates. Um, and what we're going to talk today about is that many of these state and local mask and vaccine mandates use a very specific court case dating back to the times of smallpox, the smallpox pandemic in the early 1900s. Now, you might see that and think, well, okay, that's valid. Um, based, it's only 100 years ago, 120-something years ago. Crap, we're old, right? Um, but 100 years may not seem like a long time. But think about what's happened since back then. Very quickly, um, the millennia that humans have been around on this earth and keeping records of major world events. Technologically speaking, we were we were in the same era of technology for a very very long time. With you know minor breakthroughs, we had the Renaissance, we had the Industrial Revolution that just really ramped things up. The printing press, but when it came to electrical technology and what electricity did it was like discovering fire suddenly electronics came along and we had calculators we had punch card machines we had the computers that if you've you've heard the legend you've heard it told of of times of old that computers back then were the size of whole rooms and you had a massive mainframe with just massive fans trying to keep it cool and then you had little screens around it everybody feeding off this massive mainframe the size of a room um i've never seen one i i assume that's true <laughs> maybe some of the older folks listening can testify um but then you went from there to the personal computer to where now i can compute from home or from a library or from a school and, and maybe play Pong or something. <laughs> then you had microchips, you have GPS, satellites, space travel, rocket fuel, penicillin, solar panels. And now we're in this era of everything personal and everything at the touch of a fingertip. Now we have the iPhone, the iPad. We've got tablets, we've got watches on our wrist that have more computing power than those computers that took up entire rooms. I mean, the other day I realized that I can download Spotify music to my Apple Watch, and so when my phone's dead, which it basically always is, yes, I'm one of those, um, it gets about a five-minute burst of energy, then I take it off the charger, and it's like, dude, I just need to rest for like another 30, just a quick 30. Uh, no, my phone doesn't get that for me. Um, but just with my Apple Watch now, in my headphones, I can listen to music, and I don't have the cellular version, but I can walk around and listen to high-quality audio. And I have a calculator app, and just those two things right there, that is a massive amount of computing power that has all been developed in the last 100 years. That's amazing. My point in all of that is that the arguments and the justifications relating to healthcare 100 years ago cannot necessarily be perfectly applied to our modern world of vaccines and remote working. 
So that's what we're going to get into. But before I get into the weeds with my opinions and get myself in trouble, let's talk about the case that these mask and vaccine mandates are being based on, this, this historical legal precedent. Now, if you don't know, um, and, and this is, I'm taking the podcast now from 30 to 45 minutes, and I apologize. I'll, don't worry, I'll take it from 45 to 60 later. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to, to, to legal issues, you've got the, the theory of working off the Constitution as your, as your document that you're working from. Then you've got precedent. And you kind of have to have precedent because you cannot apply every single law exactly the same to every single case. You shouldn't because every case is a little bit different. Um, so now we've got precedent, but what's, what's happened with precedent is just like before, tier one and tier two facts. Now you've got your rights as established in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and in our amendments. Um, and then you've got precedent that said, well, this is how we're going to interpret that law or that right in this specific circumstance. But now what precedent has done is now we're basing future precedent off of past precedent instead of going back to original documents. And so it's not a slippery slope, but it's it's like a game of telephone. You know, you we all played it in school. We probably played it in youth group and stuff. And well, this is how the message can get distorted. And you start it with one person and they said, I want to have pizza tonight. And by the end of the last person who heard it whispered in their ear 20 people later, it's, I got 20 bucks in my stocking last Christmas. And you're like, how the hell did that happen? And well, it's just the changing of the message as it goes from person to person. And that's what precedent has done is it's now distorted the law, distorted the rules and distorted our rights. So now you've got precedent to basically tell you whatever you want to achieve in a court of law. That being said, there are still legal precedents that hold significant weight above others. This one, Jacobson v. Massachusetts from 1905, is one of those. And, and we're going to discuss why exactly. The, the main point being that the so the, the readings I'm, I'm pulling out are from uh, supreme.justia.com, just a, a legal thought think tank type website. And they're pulling in some of the thoughts of the author of this justice summary one of, one of the members of the Supreme Court at the time, Justice Harlan. And this specific case was used in today's COVID-19 world of justifying ma mandates because, as this website says, Harlan sought to balance the police power of the state with individual liberties. And that's why judges in, in this world and even before now with other pandemics and things like that have referred to his opinion to support either either side of the argument, because this Justice Harlan did try to toe this line of the state or the, the federal government mandating versus individual liberties. And it's a fine line to walk, and it's, it's difficult, as we've seen in recent uh, months. So, what's getting into it, uh, it was a, a Massachusetts law. Again, this is Jacobson v. Massachusetts from 1905. And I'm quoting this, this website because I don't want to distort any of this by trying to interpret it or, or, whatever, or put my own words into it. So, a Massachusetts law provided that the Board of Health of a city or town may require and enforce vaccination and revaccination of its inhabitants while providing them with a way to get free vaccinations. So that's going to harken back to the fact that the government cannot compel its citizens to purchase a product. So if they're going to say you need to take this vaccine, it's got to be free. That's what that is. The state imposed a $5 fine for people over 21 who violated this law, although it did provide an exception for children with a doctor's certificate stating that they're not fit for vaccination. So basically a lot of what we're seeing today, they can mandate it, but... If they don't want to go through with it, here's the penalty. And if you're a certain group of citizen that should not receive the vaccine, get a doctor saying, you know, get a doctor's note, basically. Excuse me. I need a drink. Ah, that Black Rifle coffee just hits different. They're not a sponsor, by the way. I'd love to have them as a sponsor, but they're not a sponsor. I just, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I love the company. love the stuff that they do. And, and seriously, 
Seriously, people. Just side-by-side taste test. You can get a fairly expensive, I've got a fairly expensive bag of coffee from the grocery store, whole bean. I grind it myself. It's fresh as it's going to get off of the grocery shelves, which is kind of the point. It's still not very fresh. And it's bitter, and it and it's, ugh, it's just lacking something. And then Black Rifle, man, it's just smooth. Anyways, sorry. Um, so the the plaintiff in this case, the person who's being uh, challenged in court, was an individual over twenty one who refused to comply with the vaccination requirement, and then faced a criminal complaint. He was found guilty and fined, and the court ordered him held in custody until the fine was paid. Harlan. Again, the Supreme Court Justice, the author of, of the summary that this stuff is being pulled from, ruled that the vaccination law did not violate the, the 14th Amendment because the police power of the state may be allowed to constrain individual liberties through reasonable regulations when required to protect public safety. That is it. That, that is what this case is doing in today's world. I'm going to read that again. Harlan ruled that the vaccination law did not violate the 14th Amendment because the police power of the state may be allowed to constrain individual liberties through reasonable regulations when required to protect public safety. So they can do what they want to as long as they can prove that if they don't do it, it's going to hurt the mass populations. That's what that boils down to. Screw your rights at that point if... It's endangering other people. We've, we've heard that. We heard, what's his name, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor, say, screw your rights. That's exactly what this, this court case precedent is allowing our policymakers to do today. Right or wrong. I'm not, I'm not taking a stance on that necessarily. They've got the, the legal precedent to do it, and that's what they're doing. Now, the part of that... What what they're saying is it does not violate the 14th Amendment. That's important, obviously, because if it did violate the 14th Amendment, then it'd be ruled unconstitutional and they could not force these vaccines on people. So what is it they're saying they're not violating? Well, it's section one of the 14th Amendment. Quote, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. We're all citizens of the United States. We have certain rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have certain rights to to congregate as a church and worship, um, to assemble. We have certain rights to um, pursue work, to get money, to feed our families. Um, we have these rights. And so the 14th Amendment says that the state, the capital S state, the federal government, cannot enforce a law which would abridge or that would infringe on our rights or privileges, our protections, our defenses as citizens of the United States. He reasoned, so, so, so there's, he's saying that this, by requiring vaccines, it is not infringing on American rights because it's required for the safety, for, for public safety. He reasoned, that individual liberty does not allow people to take actions regardless of the harm that they could cause others. I mean, that's exactly what we're seeing in today's COVID world. That is the exact justification for vaccines. It's, yeah, you got your rights, but when your rights infringe on my health and my safety, now we got a problem. And now I can compel you to do what it takes to make me feel safe according to my standards. Now, you're obviously hearing my bias in that sentence, and I apologize. Um, but that's essentially what is happening. But we'll get into that later. We, we, we'll, we'll, we'll hash that out. Don't worry. I want to I really educate you on what I've educated myself just in the past weeks, um, trying to understand the why and the how of what's going on. Um, and so what I said earlier, since Harlan sought to balance the police power of the state with individual liberties, later judges would refer to his opinion to support either side of the debate. The Supreme Court has continued to follow his reasoning. This case became more prominent during the COVID-19 era, obviously, when it, when it has been used to support shelter-in-place orders and mask mandates. The Supreme Court also denied 
an injunction to plaintiffs who were seeking to block a vaccine mandate for healthcare workers in Maine. So this has been used in very major legal proceedings or justifications to, to basically not have a legal proceeding to try and block these mandates. They've cited this court case saying, no, we got the right to mandate this. Shut up. It also said that it is within the police power of a state to enact a compulsory vaccination law, and it is for the legislature, so the Congress, the people who um, create law, and not the courts. So if you remember back in, in grade school, you got your executive branch, which enforces the law. You've got your legislative branch, which creates the law, creates the legislation. And then you've got your courts, which interpret it on a case-by-case basis. That's how our system is set up, and it's the most perfect system humanity has ever seen. And it's created well, what we just talked about. This growth from 1900 to now, this technology breakthrough, has come out of freedom. Anyways, sorry, I'm not going to go down that <laughs> that rabbit hole. But so what they're saying is the the Congress, the people who create law, need to be responsible for enacting these vaccination laws, not the courts. The courts cannot... Um, enforce mandates. They can only interpret what the mandate, what the, the the fallout or what the repercussions of those mandates would be. And then they have to determine if it's even constitutional in the first place. Um, so what, what they're saying is, is it's the power, it is up for the legislature, it's up to Congress to determine in the first instance whether vaccination is or is not the best mode for the prevention of smallpox and the protection of the public health. That, to me, is the most important part of this whole case that it doesn't seem many are using. They're using the other part saying uh, it doesn't infringe on the 14th Amendment, but they're not using the part where he's saying that Congress needs to say that vaccination is the best way to prevent the virus and protect the public health. It seems that a consensus was reached before the question had even been asked as it relates to COVID-19 and the vaccine. Is the vaccine the number one way to stamp out COVID-19 across the board? My thought is I feel a lot of this depends on the confidence and effectiveness of the vaccine vaccines versus the benefits of things like natural, natural immunity self-quarantine procedures, and other immune-boosting bo- you know, vitamins and supplements, things that we've used for, for decades, centuries now. I'll get into that in a second. Now, so now we talked about the case. We talked about it does not infringe on the 14th Amendment rights in the Constitution, and it's up to Congress to determine whether the vaccine is the best way to defeat the virus or not before they can mandate it across the board. So we've established those facts. Now, let's look. The fact that, that this court case is being used, this court case from 1900s that was in relation to smallpox, is being used to justify the same sort of actions, but now we're talking about the virus COVID-19. That, to me, the first question when I saw this case, and hat tip to uh, Charlie Kirk um, from a Turning Point USA, He's the one who, who sent me on the, down this trail looking at this case. Not like we're sitting down as buddies or anything. I listen to his podcast. You know, I don't want to be name dropping or anything. Um, but so when I read this court case, I realized, okay, so they're creating an apples to apples comparison. They're saying, well, because this was done under smallpox, we need to do the same thing. And we're allowed and justified legally to do the same thing for COVID-19. But comparing COVID-19 to smallpox is not apples to apples. And we're going to look at that. Now, I know I know this is a super entertaining subject. And my soaring personality really just makes it just intoxicating. I know. And, I'm, and sarcastically, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is not the most entertaining subject. But it's important because our lives have been upended. Our families are being divided over these mandates. I live in a state where there's no vaccine mandate. No mask mandate. 
But now if you bring it down to the family level, a lot of families do have these vaccine and or mask mandates. I work with people. I've got friends who literally were making plans for Thanksgiving. And then one family member said, um, you know, just so we're comfortable, has everybody been vaccinated? And when the answer was no, that family Thanksgiving didn't happen. It felt really bad for her too, because uh, she's her family is extremely close. Um, so it's just sad. And so I think before we start doing these things, if you ask the majority of people about these facts, if you asked me pre a couple of weeks ago about these facts, I wouldn't know them. So we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to the people that we're ostracizing to know these facts and to understand what we're dealing with here. So comparing COVID to smallpox. I also uh, lumped polio, polio in there because the uh, Mad Money host that we heard in the audio at the beginning of the show uh, threw polio in there as well as, well, we did it for polio under Eisenhower. We did it because, through, with smallpox. So why wouldn't we do it because of COVID-19? So I'm going to introduce you to something called an R-naught. Uh, it, it's pronounced A-R-E-N-O-T, R-naught. But what it is, is it's basically a scientific measurement of how infectious a virus is. So you got an R rating, an R-naught rating from one to like, I think 10 or something like that. 10 being the most infectious Um well, no, not 10. I'm saying like measles has an R naught of 12 to 18. Um, wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, and, but then you got other viruses with much lower. So let's look specifically instead of just going through all of them. And I, I got a graphic that I'm going to post at the at Friday underscore detox uh, Instagram page. Um, smallpox was almost three times as contagious as COVID-19 is today. Not only was it three times, almost three times as contagious, 1900 is a world pre-hygiene in many ways, pre-modern hygiene. Uh, you had no way to quickly produce PPE, no face coverings, no gowns to wear in a hospital setting to protect yourself in order to, in order to treat the virus. No masks, no ventilator machines, certainly no vaccines um, of, of the, the magnitude and the speed that we can produce that we saw under Operation Warp Speed. No antibacterial hand wash. So it was a different world, but much like today, everybody depended on someone else for many necessities that they couldn't produce themselves. Not everybody could be a farmer. Not everybody could be a, a blacksmith and hammer things out. Not everybody could, I don't know, raise cattle. Not everybody could be a lawyer. Not everybody could be a doctor. And so we depended on each other. So human interaction was essential. Because of a lower COVID-19 infection rate compared to smallpox, herd immunity was easier to achieve with vaccines rapidly immunizing people without those people needing to catch the virus. So what we're seeing here, COVID-19, three times, or smallpox, sorry, was about three times as contagious as COVID-19. Uh, the audio referenced polio at the start of the show. Polio had an R-naught of about seven. COVID-19 is 2.5. So COVID-19, 2.5, smallpox, roughly five, polio, seven. So all this to say, this is not apples and apples. You, to me, it, it, it's lazy policy to use mandates, the justification for mandates under something like smallpox or polio, and then try to use it to justify the same for COVID-19. It just doesn't make sense. In my mind, I don't know, maybe I'm missing something. <laughs> um, so aside from just how contagious a virus is, the other aspect that, that has to be understood is the deadliness or the case fatality rate, the CFR of the virus. Smallpox had a high R-naught and a high CFR. So people caught it easily, spread it easily, and they died from it more frequently. It had a CFR of about 30%. So for every 100 people, 30 
could die from it. Measles, another well-known virus, had a very high r naught, so it was very infectious, but it had a low case fatality rate, so nobody was dying from it. So what does that mean? Well, that means we had measles parties. A kid caught measles or the chicken pox, and you say, hey, let's have a sleepover, because all of these, these, um, uh, these viruses, they were just like COVID-19, younger people have a much stronger immune system. And so, hey, before they reach the age of five, let's let them catch the virus, get over it, and then when they're adult, they're immune. And what we've also learned is the natural immunity that we achieved with these kids at a young age. You know, if you caught chicken pox as a kid, you you don't you never have to think about chicken pox again until you've got kids and now you got to worry about them catching it or not. And we also learned that if you didn't catch chicken pox as a kid and you catch it as an adult, it's a serious issue. But that same logic for some reason is not being afforded to the COVID-19 discussion. And I had to look up um well, I looked up measles parties. I came across an article about pox parties. I had to make sure it was real. Um, they're also known as flu parties. And literally, yeah, people would deliberately expose kids to infectious diseases like measles or chicken pox. And they wanted to, quote, get it over with before the vaccines were available for a particular illness or because childhood infection might be less severe than infection during adulthood. So we know these things. Talking about case fatality rate, COVID-19 has a low r naught of about 1 to 4 and a CFR of 1.4%. So this case law that is being used to justify vaccine mandates originated with a virus, smallpox, that had a CFR of 30%. So 30 people could die or would die out of 100. Very high infection rate, too. COVID-19 has a much lower infection rate, about almost three times lower, and a CFR of 1.4%. So out of 100 people who catch it, one, maybe one and a half people, maybe two people would die from it. Much lower than 30%. And, and, and we know this. We've seen this across the country. We've also seen that COVID-19 likes to target specific groups of people, much like viruses of the past. They like to target older people, immunocompromised people. And while we're at it, the seasonal flu, everybody assumes that if you're a Republican, oh, COVID-19 deniers, it's just the seasonal flu. Well, let's look at it. Seasonal flu has a high r not. It's very infectious. We experience this every year. Lots of people catch it. The store stocks up on cold and flu medicine, a bunch of Kleenex, decongestants. But, as we also know, it has an extremely low CFR. Most people catch it and they're done with it. Kind of the flip side of that is the seasonal flu mutates very quickly. And so we got all these strains that come out. So when you get a, a vaccine, you get the flu vaccine, you know, you, you, like if you're like my parents, you ask, is this the one that, that covers all of the most recent variants? Like, yeah, up to this point. Um, Cause then there's variants and the vaccine may or may not cover that. We're seeing the same thing with COVID-19. Now there's been the major, the Delta and this Omicron uh, variants but th- those aren't the only two variants. COVID-19 has mutated thousands of times, according to infectious disease experts. And so the same thing, it, it, it's behaving, it is a virus. It is behaving like the seasonal flu. It is deadlier, roughly as contagious. So yes, it, it does have to be handled with more care. You do really need to pay a little bit more attention. What is my health situation? Um... Can I afford to get sick and be out for a week, two weeks, three weeks? There, there's a lot of things, and we're going to touch on that as well. So, just a, a, a quick rundown again. Smallpox, measles, polio, extremely infectious, extremely deadly. That's what this case law is based on. 
The same cannot be said for COVID-19 as far as how contagious and how deadly it is. As far as deadliness goes, you're looking at smallpox, 30% case, case fatality rate, 1.4% for COVID-19. So, so what do we take from that? Based on case fatality rate alone, COVID-19 is really more of an economic and resource management pandemic. Now, I've got somebody in my family who is frontline worker overseas in an emergency room. So he is he was in the thick of it through throughout COVID-19. Um, he saw it all. In fact, he was working at a hospital that was kind of a COVID-19 hub, a treatment hub for the area that he was in, the county he was in. So he saw the cases. He saw the peaks and the valleys in infection rates. And he would attest that the real pain was felt when suddenly the whole community begins to get infected and then they overwhelm the hospitals and the urgent care systems. Resources get tapped, PPE runs out. And then just the toll on the people working in the system, the nurses, the doctors, but really the nurses, if you ask a nurse, um, they got tapped very quickly and they were out. Or what happened is there were places that needed nurses more than other places. And so they were paying, like some of these nurses that were travel nurses, they'd go to these hospitals that were in desperate need. They were pulling in 10, 20, $30,000 a month working contract work. And so the, the, peop, the places that really needed the nurses at that time were taking a lot of the human resources. And then the, where, where those human resources left, now there's a void. And then you get a, a surge of COVID-19 very quickly the hospitals were overrun. So it's not necessarily that everybody's dying from COVID. It's that people were catching it all together so quickly and overwhelming the hospital systems. So that has to be taken into account as well. Another conclusion, COVID-19 targets specific groups of people. So blanket lockdowns and mask mandates, just everybody, put your mask on, everybody locked down. It's a lazy policy again. There's no excuse to be masking children and healthy adults. It just makes no sense. It makes sense for maybe something like smallpox or the measles where people are dying at, at rates of 30% and higher. But when you got a case fatality rate of 1.4%, you can't just lock everybody down. Because again, there is fallout from that as well. Suicide rates skyrocketed under COVID-19. The child suicide rates skyrocketed. The overdose, drug overdose rates skyrocketed because people were locked in their homes. They couldn't go to work to see. Call them coworkers, call them friends. You're around your coworkers sometimes, oftentimes more than you're around your own families. So when suddenly you're ripped from each other's lives and all you get is a Teams message or um, a Zoom call, it's not the same. It boils down to this. If you fear X, if you fear getting run over by a car, stay out of the street. If you fear the virus, stay out of a place where the virus might infect you. It has to boil down to that for society for society to continue. This is not smallpox. The odds are highly tilted toward catching the virus, recovering, and moving on with your life. And as we've seen from viruses across the spectrum, natural immunity is best, natural immunity lasts. There are people who caught smallpox, recovered from it, achieved natural immunity, and they've done studies in present time, and they are still richly immune to smallpox. It's amazing. You know, I try to not to make this a, the faith-based part of the podcast, but if you believe in a creator who created humans to exist and to flourish and to um, reproduce and cover the world. Is it a shocker that we've got an immune system that is built to fight these diseases off? It, well, that's an, that's maybe I'll cover that on Monday. <laughs> um, last conclusion before I'm just going to take the, the opinion wheel and um, run over all of you with it. Um, this is boiled down to do we require the majority to alter their lives in order to accommodate the minority. Let me read that again. This is boiled down to, do we require the majority to alter their lives? The majority being 
the people who aren't afraid of the virus, the people who would catch the virus and be fine. If there's a case fatality rate of 1.4%, 98.6% of people are pretty safe. The odds are ever in your favor. I heard of something the other day. There was a, um, a group of people discussing local mandate policy, and one of the speakers said, you, you and your children have a much, much higher likelihood of dying in a car ride to the meeting than catching and dying from COVID-19 or even getting seriously ill from COVID-19. That's logic. (laughs) Those are numbers. You can't argue. Facts don't care about your feelings. But when we allow emotion to dominate the, um, the news cast, the, the everything, when we allow our emotion to dominate, we never make good decisions out of fear. You never make good decisions out of anger. You have to base your decision on principles. And it's obvious that people have abandoned principle in this area. As we'll talk about here in a second when I um, put on my opinion hat. Um, If 20 people want to gather but one person has a fear of the virus, there's several choices that can be made at that point. And just, just for for giggles, let's, let's apply this to a family. Let's, Christmas is coming up. You're going to have a group of people wanting to get into a house, but one person has a fear of the virus. What needs to be done? Well, the vaccine can be required for everybody. Uh, the one person who is concerned could stay home. Or should anybody who doesn't conform to the safety measures required by the person in fear be excluded in order to create a safe environment italicized in the opinion of the person in fear because that's what a lot of this really comes down to is it's subjective fear you're afraid what's your fear how do i quell your fears and that the answer to that question is not the same from person to person to answer the hypothetical, it really depends on how much you've... And this is the sad part. This is the part that really bums me out as a fallout from the COVID-19 virus. It really boils... It depends on how much you value the presence of those who won't conform. Somebody's going to be excluded. So at that point is... It's just a matter of preference for who gets excluded, the person living in fear or the person who won't conform. And then that just comes down to to a consensus. If everybody's willing to conform except for a small group of people, it's so much easier to exclude the small group who won't conform to the, the fear porn of the day. And so I've already started, so I might as well finish. My opinions when it comes down to this the real pandemic that we're dealing with is a pandemic of exclusion and segregation. COVID-19 is being used to divide our country, our families, our institutions, our government. We are being segregated into compliance and non-compliant. And we're not tattooing numbers on anybody's arms yet. But it's even easier than that. Nobody has to pull up their arm to show if they're compliant or not. All they got to do is put a mask on. They're saying now that people need to be wearing masks, even indoors in a private setting. Who does that serve? What purpose does that serve other than to signal compliant or non-compliant? The opinion is quickly shifting to where most people are, are realizing and acknowledging that COVID-19 is not going away. We are not going to eradicate COVID-19 because it's mutating. It has mutated. And odds are it will continue to mutate. Some good news there, though. The Omicron variant is, um, I, don't, I think, last I checked, nobody has died. And, and Biden enacted this... Um, the, the travel ban from South Africa when nobody had even been hospitalized there because of the Omicron. It was only studied there 
and they reported on it first. But the Omicron was present in other countries, other continents already before South America or South Africa came out with their findings. So, well, that's that's another a whole other issue. Um, just check back to how Biden treated uh, President Trump at the time when he banned travel from certain locations, and uh, and compare that to to policy of today. Anyways. My argument is that we have to understand that vaccines are no longer our only solutions. Vaccines, it's a lazy solution, and it's a sloppy one. Because a vaccine is never enough. You always need the next one for the next variant, the next mutation. The, I, I, the theory I've been hearing most prevalently is that the, the COVID-19 vaccine is basically just going to be grouped together with the flu vaccine from now on. And you're going to get both at the same time. Cool. I don't like the flu vaccine before. I'm probably still not going to like it. Haven't gotten the COVID vaccine. Probably still not going to get it. But today, vaccines are not our only solutions. We have better treatments. We have proactive treatments where, okay, I'm getting a little bit of a sniffle. What can I do? I can do this. And I can do that. And if I fear that the sniffle is specifically this type of virus, well, there's certain treatments that will proactively fight off the virus before you ever really feel the true effects of it. We have that today. We have immune system boosters that are not just the COVID-19 vaccine that it boosts. It's not a vaccine. It boosts your immune system against the COVID virus. We have ways to boost our immune systems across the board. A study came out recently, something that people have known if you, if you weren't listening or paying attention to mainstream news, if you, if you tune into independent news sources, you've known this for over a year. But one of the only correlations between, um, trying to phrase this correctly, people who contract COVID-19 and are hospitalized seriously sick and or die from it, compared to people who contract the virus sick for a few days and they overcome it, the main difference between those two groups of people is their vitamin D levels. And, vi- and a vitamin D level is not something that's difficult to find out about yourself. That's something that I'm, I'm looking into. But vitamin D is something that I take supplements for on a regular basis by recommendation of um, somebody I listen to in independent news and trust from over a year ago. Vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc are three of the best ways to boost your immune system naturally and safely. You would have to take massive amounts of vitamin D to overdose. You cannot overdose on vitamin C. Uh, zinc, I'm sure you could overdose. Your stomach would probably you puke it up all, puke it all up before you could ever achieve those levels. But natural supplements are a great way to boost your immune system. And I bring that up because nobody else is. That's been my frustration with this from the beginning is, okay, this is a virus. We've had viruses before. And there are things you do to fight the virus in order to not catch the flu. If somebody's sneezing, you run the other direction. Uh, You wash your hands. Don't touch your eye. And take your vitamins. My mom's been screaming that in my face since I'm not screaming. My mom has been not shouting. My mom has been firmly suggesting since I was a child to take my vitamins and I'm finally doing it as an adult, you know, hashtag, you know, bring your kids up in the right way and they will return to it. But there are other ways to fight the virus and none of those ways are getting any mainstream um, validation. All we're hearing is vaccinate, vaccinate, vac- vaccinate, mask up. Tell your unvaccinated family members to stay home this Thanksgiving. Stay home this Christmas. That's all we're hearing. At what point do we say enough is enough and move on with our lives? That's a a question I have posed to many people who are restricting others based off of vaccination status. And I have not gotten an answer. There is no answer. Nobody knows. How far do we allow this to go?
I guess really the only thing that we're losing at this point is time. Time with loved ones. Time with aging parents. Time with newborn miracles in the family. Time just being out in society and meeting new people and being a good influence in other people, being a, the, a bright spot in somebody else's day. We're losing out on that the more we segregate and separate ourselves from the rest of society over fear for a virus, again, with a 1.4% uh, case fatality rate. And I've struggled with this a lot, my vaccination status. I really have. I've struggled a lot with it. Because what society is doing, and not just society, but our own families, is they're making the unvaccinated the enemy. It's the unvaccinated people that just won't go along. And just, just get vaccinated. Just do it. It's the unvaccinated that are being treated as the ones at fault. Is it really just a matter of jabbing every single arm and then we can get back to normal? A lot of people thought so. A lot of people got the vaccine when it was finally FDA approved or even before it was FDA approved under the emergency FDA approval um, authorization. And they thought, okay, fine. Yes, the vaccine, let's get it over with. I'll take it and we're done, right? Not necessarily. It depends on your definition of vaccinated. A lot of people received the vaccine when it became available, but now they're not even considered vaccinated anymore because they haven't gotten their booster. Boosters one, two, and three now. When does that end? There will always be new variants. There will always be new viruses. And at some point, we have to take emotion and fear out of the argument and just look at this specific virus. COVID-19 specifically is not the same as viruses and pandemics in the past that did require a more authoritative reaction. And you know, I think that's, that's evident in people's refusal, people's non-compliance. A lot of people don't know somebody who's gotten seriously sick and or died from COVID-19. I don't know anybody in my family who's gotten seriously sick. My wife's family, I think I know of a couple of people that contracted it and got really, really sick. And one of them was a, a not an old guy. I mean, he was not even middle-aged. I, I think I've only met him once. I think he's in his 40s. And he got seriously, seriously sick. And so we got to look at, okay, what does that tell us? Who is this person? What, what led to him being seriously sick? Is there a, an underlying issue that compromised his immune system to where he couldn't fight off the virus? Or is COVID-19 just this scary, scary virus? Well, no. If it was just this scary, scary virus and it was just killing everybody, well, then everybody would be dead. That's hyperbole. A lot more people would be dead. I understand millions have died worldwide from COVID-19. But there's a lot more to it than just this person had COVID-19 when they died. You've got a lot of people that are dying from other issues. Well, I'm not going to go down that. <laughs> I'm going to get called a QAnon conspirator or something. Um, the point being, all of this to say is it's not, if, if you're requiring or if you're, if you're, if you're avoiding certain situations based off of your or somebody else's vaccination status. You are not wrong. I believe you're doing what you believe to be what what you believe to be the best decision for you and for your family. I believe that. I don't believe anybody is intentionally foregoing seeing somebody that they want to see just because of politics. If you want to see somebody, you will see that person unless you've got a legitimate fear. Now, I had to emphasize that part because if you don't want to see somebody and now you've got just the perfect excuse. It's like when, when I got a, a new dog at a puppy and it's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm kennel training him. Uh, he can't hold his pee pee very long. So, you know, as soon as I got tired of hanging out somewhere, it's like, I got a dog. I got to go walk the dog. 
you know, I, I've done it. It's not correct. It's the wrong thing to do. I know it makes me kind of a crappy person. I get it. I've come to terms with it. But we're seeing the same thing with COVID. Is that, well, I didn't really want to do that anyways. You know what? I got the sniffles. I can't really show up. Right or wrong, that's what people are doing. I don't believe that's the, the case um, personally or for the majority of people. I think the majority of people really are just doing what they believe to be the best thing. My argument is that you might be basing that decision off of faulty uh, information and faulty consensus data. As evidenced by the fact that we're justifying these mandates and this fear off of something that was enacted for a virus that was much more infectious and much more deadly than what we're dealing with today. So, take that, do with it what you will. Um, I hope you got something out of this. I hope that, if anything, you are less afraid of COVID-19. You're less afraid of the current situation we're in. Don't make that and, and do the, the Diet Coke syndrome with it. It's like, oh, it's a diet. I can have three. Um, don't do the the COVID thing with it and put a mask on and think, well, now I don't have to social distance because I got this piece of thin, uh, porous paper over my face. Don't be dumb. <laughs> but at the same time, taking this back to a faith stance, we are not meant as children of God to live in fear. I do not believe that a loving God would be okay with us taking a very low risk and using that to justify not seeing our families, not congregating as a group of people who love each other. But again, that's just my personal opinion. If you've got an opinion on this, I want to hear it. I want you to um, to DM. I want you to email. I'll post a new episode alert on at um, at Friday underscore Detox on Instagram and Friday Detox on Facebook. Leave me a comment. Let me know what you're thinking. H- have you been segregated from a group or a family or a church? Even there are a lot of churches that are now requiring vaccine vaccine proof in order for you to congregate and worship. Have you experienced that? Or from the flip side, have you been told by a doctor, hey, you shouldn't be around unvaccinated people because of this? I want to hear it. I want to to hear everybody's testimonies. I want to take the data and and, and affect my own opinions based off of real world, world data. Again, my argument is not that there are concerns. It's that a lot of those concerns are based on faulty data. So... Do with that what you will. I'm going to leave you to it. Shake it off. Shake off all the crap that was thrown at you this week, whether it was from a boss, a lazy coworker, uh, a spouse who had a rough day and, and maybe flung a little bit of crap your way. Take it, let it roll off, and just love them even harder on the on the return. And um, let the weekend come at you full speed. Embrace it. Do something productive personally clean the house a little bit i think i'm going to try to go to the um i'm going to try to go to our storage unit do a little bit of cleaning then i'm going to hang out with my brother we got fight night saturday night gonna have some steak gonna have some wine and we're gonna watch two dudes uh, who are highly trained in martial arts beat the crap out of each other and i think a couple women too uh if i remember right it's a pretty stacked card over at the ufc this saturday um anyways do some good this weekend rest up shake off all the crap and be ready to come back on Monday and hit it hard and uh, do some good things. So be kind to each other. Take it easy on social media. If you can turn it off, turn it off. If not, just just do what you learned in grade school. If, if you got nothing to say, don't say anything at all. And I'll leave you all with that. Take care. Have a great weekend. And I'll see you back here on Monday. Monday.